Hi, everybody. It is, uh, what is it, Friday today? It is Friday, the 3rd of March. May. March? God, I don't even know what fucking... Uh, April. Jesus. 3rd of April, 2020, and this is the Luke Thomas live chat episode. I believe this is 27. So, uh, as is customary, uh, we get to all your questions that we put up yesterday. Thank you so much for joining me. I greatly appreciate it. We actually have a lot to get to, so without further ado, let's get to it. All right. Um, as you can see below, I'll put it on this side. It says subscribe now. You can subscribe, and then over here you can donate in the super chat. As I announced last week, everything in the every chat that we do in the month of April, all the money will be collected, and it will go to charity. Um, you might be asking which charity. I still don't know yet because I'm trying to figure out which one is the most needy. What's the best cause? Do I give to a place whose employees are unemployed and it goes to like a labor fund because they don't have a wage? Do we give it to people to purchase potential um, personal protective equipment for people who are on the like, grocery store workers? It's, it's, it, it is a lot of people who need some help out there. And I'm not entirely sure what the right answer is. So um, I haven't quite figured that part out yet, but I'll probably have an answer for you by next week. In any event, any, 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 any bit of donation is, even if it's just a dollar, 50 cents, whatever it ends up being, really, really appreciate it. I won't pocket any of it. We'll give it all away and, uh, and it'll go to a good cause because there's a lot, a lot of people who are going to need some help, I think, this month and then the next and then beyond that as well. So, um, yeah, there you go. Okay. Without, uh, without further ado, let's get to your questions. Everything looks pretty good. Everything is plugged in. I'm a little bit more locked in on this chat. Last time I was trying to rush it at 2 and it didn't work. And then I pushed it back to like 2.30 and that didn't work. So I said today, you know what? I'm just going to do 3 o'clock. Fuck it. I'm not going to waste time. All right. So with that in mind, let's get to your questions. Of course, I put it up on the community tab every Thursday. I think 3 p.m., by the way, is going to be our new time slot. Because my show, my radio show, as a consequence of no one being able to get to the studio... Is not live right now, and because it's not live, that means I have to pre-record it and it has to be up by three, which means I typically record it from like ten to two, because um, you know, we have to stop and start and stop and start. Uh, it's a whole thing. So three o'clock on Friday seems like a pretty decent time. I'm sort of counter-programming my own radio show, but what can you do? All right, with that in mind, let's get to these questions. Appreciate everybody who put one in. Let's rock. Luke, what goes up higher because of the per pandemic? Pregnancy rates or divorce rates? Well, divorce, I don't suspect, will go up even though government will be open because divorce is costly and procedural and takes time. And how the hell are you going to go like house hunt in all of this and find a place to go? So I doubt that that goes up during the pandemic. Um, you said because of. So afterwards it could go up. The pregnancy rates might go up. But at the same time, I heard there's like a, yeah, yeah, actually, you know what, in conjunction with that, wasn't there like a, isn't there like a condom shortage? Um, and people are just stuck inside. It, it, we had this snowstorm several years ago, five, six years ago at this point, maybe more. And it rained, it rained, it snowed three feet in like two days. And uh, it, I remember afterwards when all the snow was gone, we would go outside and it'd be like, there'd be like all these pregnant ladies. And my wife and I thought like, wow, man. People must have, like, you know, because bone in your significant other, that's just, that's just the cheap fun. 
right? Doesn't cost anything if you're already there in the house together, that kind of a thing. So we thought there must have been like this boom from being inside. But then we looked at data. There was a Washington Post article about it because everyone kind of thought that was true. And there was a Post article about it. And they looked at the data from like um, delivery rates. And there was no real increase in the way you would have thought that there would have been. From like if everyone was getting pregnant in December um, by like September, October, August, any of that, any, any space in there around that nine-month mark, there was no surge. So if I had to guess, I'd guess divorce rates after the pandemic, during maybe pregnancy. Hi, Luke. I was wondering if you heard Chael's rant on the coronavirus on the Believe You Me podcast this week. Pretty crazy stuff. Thanks for everything. Um, I heard a little bit of it. Now, I'm going to try a bit of a different approach. Usually what I often do is I go and I hammer everyone who I disagree with with fire and brimstone. And I just can't do that because I like Chael a lot. And I don't know that that's the most convincing way. I mean, sometimes it's good to get full of righteous indignation, but not every time. Uh, I didn't hear the whole thing. I, but I stopped at... Um, he was saying the coronavirus was significantly less than the flu. Uh, you know, just not a worldview related to that based on anything approximating the truth. Right? Um, and he was saying, oh, doctors are saying this and scientists are saying that. It's just not what they're saying. It's not, it's not true. So I like Chael. I don't want to blow up our relationship. So I hope to have a dialogue with him. So people ask me the same thing about Gordon Ryan, too. It's like, I like Gordon. So, you know, if you lash out, like, here's the thing. It's like, do we want people who we disagree with, uh, who we're trying to convince, let's say, whatever the issue might be, sometimes lashing out can be like a, like a wake-up call for them. But a lot of times, I've found that that's really not the best way to go about it, even though I'm a victim of my own bad strategy in trying to convince people. You got to try sometimes a little bit more honey than other things. I would love to have a conversation with Chael and, like, get his citations for the things that he's believing because the idea at this point that, that the flu is somehow more dangerous is simply sort of ridiculous. You know, I've had a bunch of people write me. There's a lot of death cult shit going around where people are arguing. You might hear my daughter screaming, by the way, where people are arguing like, oh, isn't there a number of traffic accidents every year? And isn't this sort of a, a worse thing? And it's like, I can't believe that people are offering that as an argument about how seriously we should or should not take coronavirus. I mean, understand a couple of things, right? Like, however much car trauma there is every year, whether it's uh, ambulances that have to go pick up people, whether it is um, the number of nurses that have to attend to people in the ER, whether it is surgeries, whether it is blood donations, whether it is deaths, however you want to measure the amount of cost that, that these individual pieces of trauma and aggregate cost, never does it overwhelm our healthcare system. Like, no one has to fly the, or I'd rather sail a naval vessel that apparently has only a thousand beds. It can only take three people who have tested negative for it. Uh, but they don't have to sail a naval vessel to Seattle, Washington every year or Fort Lauderdale to address the car trauma. The, the whole issue with coronavirus is that it, it overloads healthcare systems, right? That's why they're hiring like freezer trucks as temporary morgues in NYC. That's the first part about it. The second part I'd say is there is something to be said for the fact that at least in this country, and if you're watching from a different country, you might feel that your municipal planning is different, but the American way of developing a municipal planning such that this had the suburban growth in the 70s and 80s uh, turned out to create a car culture here that has been super detrimental to American life. Yeah, there are too many car deaths. That is like absolutely true. And the fact that our tolerance of it is a little bit, psychotic to be honest with you 
That being said, there's a flip side to that, which is if you're going to tolerate a lot of deaths, there needs to be a pretty goddamn good reason for it. And there is at least a little bit with cars. Now, I think there's more that we could do. This is why I often talk about investment in mass transit. But um, the whole idea is that you might need a car to get to work. You might need a car to save someone's life if someone is sick at your house and you can't get an ambulance in time or you live out in the boonies or whatever. Like these can, this, the, the vehicle in that sense can be your one and only ticket to, uh, you know, health and wealth. And so if that's the sense, you're going to tolerate what conditions, to an extent anyway, that they might impose. I've seen people being like, why can't they hold an event of fighting if the grocery store is going to have 50 to 100 people? Well, you know, last time I checked, people have to eat food to live. A grocery store as a function of a uh, society not teetering over the edge is significant, holds significantly greater social weight than cage fights. Um, now, people getting money is a little bit different to then pay for that. We could talk about that later. But um, these are just really weird arguments that people offer. And also, like, this virus is just – is. I keep telling people this. It's just getting started. The first month is down. We have many months to go. This thing is going to worm its way through. The United States government, which I said weeks ago, was doing a terrible job. Sure enough, they are. Um, individual state and local governments are doing pretty good but in certain cases. But – it is going to weave its way through, and it is going to cause mass pain and suffering. That is what it's going to be. And, and the, the, uh, the ongoing denial of it, um, based on no evidence, it's not good for anybody. You're not, you're not helping anybody out that way. If you want to help people, you have to have a frank and honest discussion about things and what the evidence shows and what it doesn't. Some of this remains uncertain. We don't know if the extent of this is seasonal, for example, blah, 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 blah. But when he started saying that this was less than the flu, under no consideration is that true. I shared a video last night on social media um, that had indicated three sort of ways in which they were different. One, the lethality it is orders of magnitude more lethal across all demographics. Um, significantly, by the way, the flu seems to be like hurting men more than women two to one. Or, sorry, the COVID uh, virus is two to one, which is kind of interesting. I don't know why, but it is. Um, secondly... Its reproduction rate, what they call the R naught, uh, is it infects uh, significantly more people. Uh, and then the incubation period is weird. Like you can get sick with the flu, and then by a day or two you have symptoms. Whereas you can have up to fourteen days of no symptoms, and you can spread the virus the whole time with COVID nineteen. And then there's, of course, it gets more lethal after that. So there's this ability to spread uh, is just so much worse. Now it's not like the measles. It's not like other things that are apparently really bad. But it's bad. It's really bad. And so that has the capacity to spread and everything else. Um, there's a lot of belief inside of MMA. I talked privately to some regulators the past couple of weeks. I've talked privately to some coaches the past couple of weeks. And everyone is sort of minding their social P's and Q's. But I have noticed that uh, even among regulators, there has been this idea that this is a little bit overblown. Uh, but they don't really know because they're waiting to see how all this plays out. You saw recently that Nevada couldn't even meet to develop a set of criteria about what to do about COVID-19. Uh, California has canceled everything through May. Um, and I just shared it on Twitter a minute ago. The D.C. government is doing its own modeling that takes into consideration the, the, the policies they implemented to you know, force social distancing. And then on top of that, build into the model people really not paying attention at first and what that might cause. Dude, they were saying that, that this thing in the city here is not going to peak in April 15th. They're going to call for a peak in July. A July peak. Folks, if the, this thing peaks in July, 
you're talking about 2020 being gone. Gone. Gone as a year. And I know that if you go back and look at some of my old live chats, you can look at the comments and folks accusing me of alarmism. Th that, has, that has died down to a pretty strong degree. And it will continue to as this thing gets worse. The evidence is, we don't know exactly how it's going to play out, but the idea that this is going to get better quickly, there's virtually nothing to indicate that's true. So for my friends in the industry who I could reasonably have a dialogue with, and I consider Chael to be one of those people, um, I believe that, I, that it's worth the attempt to have a conversation with people like that. Um, because I think he's smart enough, I know he's smart enough, to come to a different opinion, I think, with, if not me, somebody else making effective persuasion. Uh, next one. Ariel Hawani is the only ESPN MMA reporter to publicly denounce the hosting of UFC 249. I'm not even sure that's true. Do you think the company has attempted to gag its employees? We have known in the past that they have done it. It wouldn't, I mean, do I have direct evidence of that in this particular case? No, but we know, you guys remember when the whole NBA China scandal happened and a, a memo was leaked basically telling them what they could and could not really say? I doubt they've gone outright and said, you can't say that this is, you know, uh, a moral stain, like some of the things that I've said. They probably have directed them to be a little careful uh, about this, maybe not that, right? Kind of playing around the edges, but there's not a doubt in my mind. ESPN, I, I keep telling all this, it's not a news organization as it's typically understood. It's not the Associated Press. It's not, um, you know, it's not, uh, I don't know, pick, pick a news outlet that you like. It's not, it's not that. It's not Reuters. It's not... It's not any of those things. It's a broadcast partner that has a news arm, but the news arm is not always, but often inhibited by the broadcast uh, parameters. And we've seen it demonstrated in the past multiple times. I've told you guys this before. I've had friends who've written uh, some st negative stuff for various league partners while they worked there, and they told me that their op-eds got sunk. That's a, that, is, that has been told to me directly, directly. So this idea that you're going to get from them, this like unvarnished view of the UFC, I simply don't buy it to be true. Now, I don't know the full extent. I want to be 100% clear about this. I do not know. I do not know. I do not know the full extent of Ariel's views on this matter. So I could be very wrong about this. All I can say is I saw last night that he tweeted that he, was, he had some somewhat mixed feelings that he didn't feel comfortable outright calling for the cancellation or postponement of an event because of the negative effect that it might have on fighters. To me, that's not really denouncing anything. I mean, you can debate the merits of that position, but I would not classify that as denouncing UFC 249 going on. On a side note related to that, I have seen that there's been this argument being made. It's a phony argument. Don't buy it. I'm not saying Ariel's made it. In fact, I, don't, I have no idea if he has, but others have made it where... What they do is they tie the idea of UFC 249 being postponed or canceled. They tie it to the idea of, well, what that must mean is you don't want fighters to get paid, which is not the argument. It's not the argument even a little bit. I mean, I guess some people might, but it's not the one that many of us have been making. Rather, the argument goes something like this. There's all kinds of reasons from health and safety why you should not do it. I'm not going to go over them again. So if the idea is you shouldn't, then what do you do about the fighters? Number one, this week, it is pinned to the top of my Twitter. I spoke to an unemployment expert about these very issues. I spoke to her and I asked her, you know, what was uh, possible in terms of federal relief from the stimulus package for independent contractors. You can get in certain places two, three, four hundred dollars from your state plus a six hundred dollar 
additional uh, pandemic unemployment assistance benefits sent to you per week, which means you could have upwards of $1,000 every week sent to you. Now, that ends up being $36,000 before taxes, which is um, not the most amount of money, but as a holdover until something gets better, it's not nothing, and they're all eligible for it. I, I, I laid a roadmap out about how they could get it, who qualifies, what are the rules, how do they get it, the whole nine. And I'm going to put a whole video on it on YouTube not because I expect it to kill, it'll do nothing videos, but if it helps families get fed during this time, number one, that's part of it. Number two, I mean, the UFC has to understand what their messaging is. Either they're really killing it, this has been one of their best years ever, and they've got all this money, or that's not true. Because if that was true, and the numbers certainly indicate that it has been, well, then what that means is there must be some level of wealth to share. We can talk about why these UFC 249 shows are ongoing and what kind of demands Endeavor may or may not be placing on them, but you're seeing a lot of leagues take a lot of act actions to preserve themselves and to help the uh, the entire uh, organization function. Let me give you a perfect example. I don't like the team at all. The city itself is wonderful, but Barcelona FC, including Lionel Messi, have taken the players 70% wage cuts so that the rest of the staff, knowing this doesn't get laid off, but that they can maintain 100% of their salary base, right? You're seeing numerous executives in telecom and in uh, entertainment and media companies not take salaries. Um, I don't know that that's the right answer for Dana White. I haven't thought about it enough, but I don't suspect that that, that trend of the ultra-rich foregoing their salaries or portions of it is going to stop anytime soon. And I don't know why if the other leagues and, and other sports entities and media entities are engaging in it, why the UFC and Dana White in particular, or any of their very high paid executives would be exempt from those considerations as well. Maybe it won't come to that. I certainly hope that it doesn't, but that's part of it. So you've got this wealth that they already, I mean, they claim to be doing quite well and they are, I mean, they have been doing very well, all this contractual revenue that they've been getting. Um, certainly some of that could be shared. Individual sacrifices could be made, and there already is on the books right now a method for them, for, to, for independent contractors, gig workers, any independent contractor, but fighters in particular, to go get money they are owed. The argument is not about let's rob the fighters of their livelihood. The argument is let's replace the very mo most that we can to make it livable until the situation is fixed, and then once the situation is fixed, well, then, as I said before, fire up the chainsaws, boys, because it's time to get to work. That is the argument. The argument isn't rob fighters. The argument is not take away their livelihood. Who would argue such a thing? The argument is let's get it replaced. And by the way, even if the argument was you can't do this because it's dangerous, that's the very same argument that every bartender has to face, every barber has to face, every working class member who uh, operates in the mall, who does any number of different duties. All of them have to face the exact same realities. Everyone is going to take a bite of the S sandwich. And it hasn't hit my level of employment yet, but buddy, boy, do you guys think for one second, I'm not thinking, I'm not going to get all, all of us. All of us are going to get tied up in this. It is eventually going to make its way to me too. I don't know how. I don't know when. This is why I have three jobs because it's coming my way too, right? Um, it, 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 this, is, this is the world we live in. And I think part of this is, you know, we, we, I do my very best, believe it or not, to not bring into these live chats unnecessary political considerations. But if you just look at what a lot of European governments are doing, why the fuck do we have mass layoffs here? This does not make sense. This does not make sense. 
what there's you're seeing in places like Denmark and others is this ability to from the government to directly pay the companies to keep people on staff, if not at their full wage, at a pretty significant portion of it, so then you can keep everything going. I've seen folks say, oh, there should be no collection of rent. There should be no collection of uh, mortgages. Well, that will just freeze up the entire system. That's not the answer either. The answer is, let's just pump money into it to keep it running the best that we can so that life can maintain a degree of normalcy. That's the answer. Bridge loans with no interest. That's the answer. Uh, and instead, what we've decided is we're just going to lay everybody off and your health insurance, if you, unless you get furloughed, but if you're going to lay a bunch of people off, your health insurance is tied to your job. So now you don't have that in the middle of a pandemic. It is such an inept response. It is such an inept response. It's a disaster in the way that it is being particularly felt in this country that does not need to happen. And every one of us is going to take a, a bite of that S sandwich before this is over, some worse than others. So... So to get back to the argument about what it means to postpone UFC 249, the argument is not to postpone it so that fighters are bereft of any ability to feed their families. That is not the argument. The argument is let's take care of health and safety and then right behind it, right behind it, let's find ways to put money in the hands of fighters right away, right away. Critical component. That's the argument. It's not this idea that it's one or the other, that it's some kind of false choice not true. Not true even a little bit. Does not have to be. And in fact, matter of factly, at least insofar as the federal government is concerned, is not true. Uh, do you Did or do you ever worry that your views on any issue, criticizing UFC, USADA, other journalists, fighters, blah, 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 and Brian, tip to tip, may be a problem for an employer? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, like when I made that Chael Sada video when we were beefing, did I not say outright, I know I could be further if I just kept my mouth shut? Hello? <laughs> I, I saw some of these like stupid arguments that are being made like, oh, MMA media is virtue signaling. It's like, oh my fucking God. Like how many times, I mean, how many, how you got, you have to have a, you have to be damaged as a person to believe something like that, right? Where you're actively calling for something that is potentially ruinous for your career, Right. Because one, you don't get UFC 249 if in fact it stops. And number two, in criticizing these power structures, they're going to have long memories. Do you think I'm under the impression that they're just going to forget about this when this is all over? No. No, 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 no. They're not going to forget about any of this. They're going to remember all of it. Trust me. Trust me. So you go out and you take the stand. And I saw some people being like, oh, part of virtual signaling is being a martyr. Yo, I got very little interest in being a martyr. Right? Being a martyr, super overrated. Not interested in it. But the point being is at some level, dude, if you can't call balls and strikes about what and what is not appropriate during a global pandemic, you are a pathetic human. You are just nothing in this world. You're not, you don't deserve anything. If your job is, in fact, to call balls and strikes and you can't do it, it's pathetic. It's pathetic. It's completely pathetic. And uh, you just... Like, I'm not saying you can't go through your life making strategic calculations about what hills you want to die on. You can hear my daughter screaming. You do. You have to, you have to make some calculations about that. Um, you know, but like when Showtime and I were talking, I was super shocked they wanted to. I've criticized Showtime in the past, and they know it. They know it. Um, but they just made a decision about, like, what their corporate vision was for certain things, you know? So... Uh, yeah, dude, it's going to cost you. There is no, you, you heard the, uh, the, the economics lesson, no such thing as a free lunch. 
You don't get to go in here and say all this stuff and then just expect that everyone will just take it. Like, they'll take a lot of it, maybe most of it, but they're not going to take all of it. Um, and how that breaks out, you know, you, you just need to go into this like eyes wide open about what all this means. But you also have to decide what your values are. This is why I have all this stuff here. And by the way, I'm totally redesigning some of the things here. I've been doing this one shot. We're going to have a second shot here pretty soon. That was part of the goal of making use of this time. But um, uh, I've said it before, dude. Like, I don't... <laughs> I'm not I'm not reliant on anyone to help me. It's nice to have, and I'm in a better position when I get it. Uh, and SiriusXM has had my back for such a long time. Showtime newer to the, to the scene, but um, so far, so good, right? Everything's been great, but, um, you know, I just, you, you just never know in this world. You never know. So, uh, your manager changes and they have a totally different view of your editorial priorities. The person who hired you moves on to a different company. And now the person who takes over doesn't see your work in the same value. And then it all just goes away or criticizing these institutions. They're going to find ways to get back at you. Like all of this is a real thing. All of it. I am not under the assumption that when this is over, they're just going to say, well, let's let the bygones be bygones. They're pissed. I suspect that they're probably pissed. Um, but dude, <laughs> I, like the last thing I'll say about this and I'll move on to the next question is if you had told me the thing that would have really pissed off the power brokers was me saying, Hey, maybe holding a show during a once in a century global pandemic is not a good idea. I would have never, ever, ever believed that that was the hill I would have had to die on. Never, not once. It would have never occurred to me. And so you saw, you know, I don't want to liken myself to that, but sometimes there can be really costly decisions that you make that you can be completely comfortable with. Like, dude, it was, it was, it was important enough to you and you felt like it was truthful enough that whatever the costs end up happening, you just kind of let the, you know, let the whole thing roll. Um, this is one of those to a, to an extent, you know, I mean, at some point I feel like letting other people speak up has value, um, I feel like uh, you, know, you can only say so much before people tune you out. That's a lesson I've learned over time. Uh, and you know, there's other ways to let the whole thing play. play. By the way, and I, I also said this too, like when it comes to MMA media. MMA media is more like an, a nuisance for the UFC. You know, uh, they're good at promoting things. I think they, like, I, I don't know. I don't know exactly how the UFC sees them, but I do know this. They care more about what the mainstream media has to say about them. And the mainstream media has said virtually nothing because they're just not paying attention. And some of the ones who have, like a Dan Wetzel of Yahoo, and I, I, you know, I spoke to him privately. I thought the work that he was turning in related to this has been totally off the mark. And I said it out loud on my show, and we tagged him in it, and we spoke. And then I told him, told him it was off the mark. So uh, up, like this idea that like MMA media is going to get it canceled. They're, you know, they're not. It doesn't. They don't have that kind of power. I don't have that kind of power. And the people who might, you know, they don't say it. So. If, in fact, they do end up postponing or canceling, it'll be one, because the mainstream press turned on them, which there appears to be no indication that, that will happen. It, but it'll be just what the Occam's razor says it will be, which is there's a pandemic. It's just fucking impossible. Like, that's it. No one no one would hold it against the UFC for being like, wow, these guys are real logistic. They're not the Army Corps of Engineers. Like, we don't expect that from them. You know, so you don't understand it. Like, it's, be, it's fine. I mean, you get it. Anyway, so yeah, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I just I suspect eventually there's the, the, this you know this there's the, the bill will come due. So take steps in your career as I have done to provide some insurance related to that, 
and then decide what kind of career you want to have. Your thoughts on Chinese propaganda and the way CCP has handled the situation? Quote, quote, quote um, parentheses. Also, where are those NBA donks who said that they do things differently in China? Yeah, Bomani Jones is one of them. Um, he wasn't the only one. There's a lot. Yeah, I actually hesitate to say anything about this, but maybe not for the reasons you might imagine. Differently. Which is, I think that my, my hunch is that the level of mendacity and the level of cover-up and the level of falsehood is so extraordinary from the Chinese government that we barely actually, like, whatever reporting is out now will have to be amended. And I know I've seen some reporting that like, you know, they, the way that they were able to measure the deaths in the uh, in Wuhan and the Hubei province and all that was through uh, how many urns were ordered because they were just sending donks to the crematorium, right? Iran was just burying them in the back. They were digging up mass graves and just chucking people in the graves, covering it up. They could see that from the satellite imagery. Like that was v visible. And they've not done so much to hide the problems that they've been having. But um, in the case of, of China, they've done a pretty significant job of trying to hide things. Now, Hong Kong has had some successes, although it's sort of semi-autonomous, right? Um, but uh, I have no doubt that whatever is being reported right now, it's going to be 10 times worse when the whole story is told. That is my hunch, which isn't to impugn individual actors in China trying to do the right thing. Doctors, nurses, laboratories, various institutions of research trying to find vaccines, doing antiviral treatment experiments, clinical trials, that kind of thing. They should all be praised. But you're talk what you're talking about is the government and the steps they've taken. I don't even want to say that much other than uh, I suspect that the cover-up is significant. Which, by the way, we should also note, you saw that interview with... Um, Oh, God, what was his name? From the World Health Organization? When he was asked about Taiwan, he was like, I didn't understand you. And they're like, okay, it's about Taiwan. He's like, let's just move on. <laughs> um, Taiwan has done a phenomenal job. A phenomenal job in this whole thing. So they have been uh, friends of the United States. They've been a democratic beacon in that part of the world. And they they were locked on. They were completely locked on. So good job by them. Really good job, and it deserves to be noted. Luke, can we get some sort of I don't read Dana remix? Do I have that up on my email somewhere? Uh, let's see. Do I have that? I don't know if I have that. Oh, I might. Oh, wait, hold on. Yes, I do think oh yes here we go hang on let's see if i can pull this up if you guys haven't heard this cut he spoke to uh aaron bronstetter of tsn and he was he asked for he was asked for like a recommendation like oh what you know what movie do you want to watch which or for like you know social distancing and then he did one on like favorite book and it went like this all right, Dana, we're going to play a little game. It's social distancing with Dana White. You know, home, I'm at home. Our viewers are looking for something to, to fill the time. So give me a movie. What movie would uh, you recommend to our viewers? Let's go, let's go TV first. <laughs> UFC Fight Pass has a fight this Friday night from, uh, from England, and there's tons of content on there. Or if you, if you want to get into a TV show while you're on this, I would suggest Sons of Anarchy. Movie. All right. Um, if you've never seen the movie Vision Quest, 
I am a huge fan of Vision Quest. I, I, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's a very inspiring movie. It, it's it's well, all sir. about the meaning of life and creating, um, you know, achieving goals and doing great things uh, while you're young. And uh, I love that movie. All right, give us a book. I don't like books. I don't read. Yeah, there you have it. So that's where it comes from. Um, you know what? Not even doing a bit. You know what was one of the most helpful books? This will, this will come as no surprise to you, given that I am a world-class dork. Um, in high school, I was on, uh, of course, I did the debate team and everything, like a jackass. Uh, but I also did what's, I don't know what, the, the name varies state to state, but it's called Academic Bowl. You know the nerds who sit there on teams and they ring the buzzer when they know the answer to questions? Yeah, I did that too. But one, one, and I, I read a book that was helpful for that exercise, but now that I look back on it, I'm actually like so glad I did it. Uh, I'm not even doing a bit. It's like, it's like um, I don't know if he's like adapted it for only children. I believe the name of the author is E.D. Hirsch. E.D. Hirsch, Jr. Hirsch is spelled H-I-R-S-C-H. Um, E.D. Hirsch wrote a book called The Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. And it's not a dictionary in the sense where you can just like open it and it's really sort of programmatic language, robotic almost. It's not that. It's, it's, it's written in alphabetical order, and it's, you, you can use it as a reference guide. Like, oh, what was, the, um, uh, you know, what was the War of Roses or something? And you can you know, open it up. Um, but it covers everything. World events, literature, math, science, chemistry, geography, any of this, any, anything uh, that's a major topic of world knowledge, essentially. And he just goes through and tells the story of all of it in a way where it's like, it's cliff note-ish, but also told in a very dynamic and interesting way. Dude, I would read that thing cover to cover. Cover to cover. The Dictionary of Cultural Literacy. Now, this was years ago. I don't know what it is today. And it sounds like I'm doing a bit, like an anti-Dana bit. I swear to God, I'm not. If you've never read it, you got to read it. It is, Or if you're an older adult and you want to give your kids something, dude, having a copy of the Dictionary of Cultural Literacy in your house, you might feel like in the age of Wikipedia, you don't need that as much. But Wikipedia, number one, I'm not sure I trust the information as much as what E.D. Hirsch did. And Wikipedia will condense the most essential things and then retell it to you in a much more dynamic way. So it's like better distilled, better presented, and getting a hardback cover of it. The Dictionary of Cultural Literacy, I would recommend to literally everyone on earth. And it's just a great starting point to figure out what kind of things interest you, what kind of things don't. You learn so much about, like, what's the San Andreas Trench? And um, what year did the dinosaurs die off? And why? And uh, you know, any, anything, anything. It's really, 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 really impactful. I, I would read that uh, to go through, like, a, you know, like an unfuckable dork in high school. And I would go through and I would read that. And, you know, it was just... It, it, Again, I did it because I was like, oh, this would be a great way to prep for these events. And then what I found out after the fact was I was like, wow, I feel, I feel that was really helpful for me to, like un, to get just a basic framework of, of, of life and our system of government and the way in which the world works and everything else. Dictionary of Cultural Literacy, E.D. Hirsch. Uh, same question. Dana White comes to you and says, I need to start reading. What do you tell him? Um, Luke, what fight do you think DC peaked? Now, that's a great question. Wow, man. That's a great question. Let me pull up his Wikipedia here because I might 
I don't want to go just off memory. Where did he peak? Well, I would say probably the first Anthony Johnson fight. Because you could say the Gustafson fight he won, but he was really in a tussle. The Silva fight was weird and just bad. I mean, it's not anyone's fault, but you know. The second Johnson fight, I don't know that he was all there. Jones, he loses. Uzdemir, he was just, Uzdemir was outmatched. You could say maybe Stipe because that's when he got the second title. So if you want to say as a fighter, like independent of title, maybe the Anthony Johnson fight. Because he got rocked and he got bellied out on that one. Uh, if you want to say like from a career peak, probably the Stipe fight. Because I remember after that when he went when he fought Derek Lewis at UFC 230, uh, it was just, oops, sorry. It was just, um, it was such a big deal. He was like, you know, you could see him doing bigger media outlets, and he was like a man in full. It was like his whole thing. So one of those two, I'd say, is probably your answer. Probably. Luke, did COVID-19 originate from Brian Campbell after eating gas station sushi? <laughs> you know Brian Campbell doesn't eat sushi, whether it's from a gas station or any other place. That's way too fancy for him. Brian's got this, like, you know, Brian's so great. He's got this, like, inferiority complex where he's like, I eat hot dogs because I'm from a working-class town, and that's all I'm good for. And it's like, well, you know, nothing wrong with a hot dog. I mean, who doesn't love hot dogs? But you don't have to, like, pin your background to your future. Um, you're, you don't have to pin that as, like, the way to shape your identity, you know. Um, you Just go and try new things. And you'll find, because he is so bright, that as he does, he's just like, you know, he's just loving it. So, shouts to Brian, who is one of the best people I've ever worked with. What do you think of Khabib's interview with Okamoto? Also, notice how Khabib stopped giving interviews to Ariel. Now, I don't know what the situation is with that, but it wouldn't surprise me if that was true. Um, a lot of times at a news outlet, the fighter and or the manager will have some beef with somebody there. And then they'll decide... Um, all right, we don't want to not talk to this outlet. The outlet might be very important, but we're not going to talk to this version of the outlet. We'll talk to this other version. That happens all the time. That's Again, that I'm not sure if that's the case here, but if that was, it wouldn't be the least bit surprising. So who knows there. Um, what did I think? I only heard clips. I did not hear... So my, my producer cut up the clips, and I just heard Khabib talking. I didn't hear any Brett's questions. Uh, what did I think of it? Yeah, I thought Khabib made a lot of sense. To be honest with you, um, I think the, the notion of him being blamed is absurd. And I put a video out yesterday with like some preliminary thoughts. But you know, hearing what he had to say, say you want me to fly back to the U.S.? Where in the U.S., dude? St. Louis, Fort Lauderdale, Dallas, Wyoming, New York, San Francisco, some other place? Where do you want me to go? They don't even know. It's two weeks out. He's like, this is not professional. It's not professional. He doesn't know where he's supposed to go. The, the, the travel itself is risky. He's not – I mean, I think he's wrong for this, but he's not saying – UFC 249 should not go on because I know people need money, so I get it. Um, and, you know, he's also saying Tony isn't sure if he wants to fight Gaethje because, hey, man, if we don't have a location, how can we fight? Well, he's saying, well, if he's saying that, why can't I say that? I mean, you could go down the list of what he's saying or, you know, people are like, oh, call Putin, call Donald Trump, get, make this happen. Like, you know, like these are their buddies on speed dial. It does, life doesn't work that way. It just doesn't work that way. You know, he, I would never root against Tony because he has so been... I mean, he, if anyone has a right to be upset, it's Tony Ferguson, right? So, um, but like on some part of, like, there's a part of me that wants something to happen where 
people can see that you Habib can make a rational choice about health and safety and then come back and then compete against very tough fighters and then do well. Like there's no there's no this this ascribing to Khabib it's so funny, right? Like I was having a discussion with my wife the other day about like um, anti-vaxxers and like how, how is it like like vaccines there, there is no medical intervention or treatment that doesn't carry some level of risk. But relative to the benefits of most publicly available vaccines, the risk is substantially low and the evidence for this is overwhelming, right? I mean, some diseases had been eradicated in the 20th century that are not making a comeback as a consequence of anti-vaxxer uh, uh, pushback. But be it as it may, it's like, wow, man, you want to think about like one of the most important and amazing scientific achievements like Jonas Salk making the polio vaccine and how that just profoundly helped the lives of so many. Uh, if something that ironclad, which nothing is 100% ironclad, but if something is that ironclad and can still have this measure of pushback from people totally immune to, no pun intended, the facts of the case, there's nothing as a bedrock of knowledge that's not, that's not, that, that there's nothing as a bedrock of knowledge that's beyond reproach by some bad faith or ignorant actor, right? If you can go after vaccines, you can go after anything. You can go after absolutely anything. What does that have to do with Khabib? Which is, here is a guy from a, one of the toughest parts of the world who has been fighting in the toughest weight class, has beaten everybody, and made a clear and very understandable choice about the professional professionalism, about the difficulty of training, where the police are showing up to AKA and shutting him down, about following some guidelines and protocol from the UFC. Not all of them, but some of them. And then realizing, this is a global pandemic. I don't even know where we're fighting. This is stupid. I'm not doing this. Which is what every A-list boxer would do instantly. Instantly. Not even a shadow of a doubt they would do that. And people will still say he's running from somebody. Dude, if, if even Nurmagomedov, who is a pound for, top pound-for-pound pound contender, a champion in the most difficult weight class, undefeated in his pro career, can be undone by accusations that are, however baseless and stupid they might be, if even he can be attacked, it shows you that the, the point is it doesn't matter how good your resume is. It doesn't matter how tough you are. It doesn't matter where you come from. There's going to be some bad-faith goober that will go and try to undo it. I know it's disappointing. Of course it's disappointing. Of course it's disappointing. Dude, are you kidding me? Of course it is disappointing. It is the most disappointing shit since the fact that you, we all realize we're going to be stuck inside for quite a while. It's, it's like the worst. It's the worst. But it doesn't... How bad it is and how bad you want it is not a reason to do anything. The reason to do it is when it makes sense for all the other larger considerations beyond your personal selfishness. And, you know, maybe you don't like some of Nurmagomedov's answers. Maybe he feels compelled to, like, you know, toe the line a little bit towards the company. He's one of the biggest stars in combat sports. That's a fact. He's one of the biggest stars in combat sports. He doesn't even know where they're fighting. There's a global pandemic going on. He's having trouble training. He's having trouble getting in and out of countries. It's stupid. It's stupid. Like, how is this even up for debate? Because you've got people who ascribe schoolyard motivations to complex human situations and adult characters, and they think that that's a way to explain the world when it's not. It's just a way to, it's just a way to smear 
um, decorated, talented professionals who don't deserve to be smeared. You're getting athletes who are making difficult choices that are uh, hurtful to fans because the promotion won't make it for them, even though they should. And so now all of that blame gets shifted onto Nurmagomedov, despite everything you already know about what a badass he is. It's absurd. It's totally absurd. It's completely absurd. Don't buy it. Um, specifically, oh, wait, hold on. Hey, Luke, as a potter, like a dude who makes pots, with a small company, I, am I now asking myself how this crisis will affect my industry? You better. It's going to come for all. It's going to it's, it's eat away at every part of our lives. When I, when I, what I mean, well, sorry. It's going to eat away at a part of our lives in some fashion or another for all of us. And I don't just mean this particular situation. I mean, like, it's going gonna, it's gonna, it's gonna to exact its pound of flesh on everybody. I think that the people will, again, appreciate more craftsmanship. I do think, I do think it's going to create a spirit of do-it-yourselfness. I think that's true. Big fan from Austrian quarantine. Yeah. Like, this whole, like, people who are self-sufficient, people who grow their own veggies, people who are handymen around the house, people who are good at, you know, finding ways to make use of their time, they're going to thrive here. Any thoughts about how the current COVID-19 controversy going on the BJJ community right now, specifically how outspoken Keenan Cornelius has been and the blowback against him? Yeah, Keenan has been a real strong voice of reason over there. I don't know what is up with martial arts that it attracts. But it's so weird, right? Because isn't the argument about MMA and jiu-jitsu, it's like, all these people made claims about what their system was that was the best, and they had never really tested it. And the whole point about jujitsu is it doesn't leave anything to mystery. MMA doesn't leave anything to mystery. We don't rely on dim mock and chi and all this nonsense. What we actually do is we actually put people in there, and we see which skills work and which ones don't in real-life situations. And then we slowly hone the craft over time according to the rule set for jujitsu and then for MMA. It's about what actually practically works in the real world. It's a sense of... Uh, no longer indulging your fantasies, not indulging ancient traditions, not indulging mysticism, not indulging these things, these, as Carl Sagan would have called, the demon-haunted world. It's none of that. It's actually, it's, it's, it's very scientific in a way. What works, what doesn't, under practical considerations, let's figure that out. Let's actually know what the truth is. Joe Rogan, I think one time, somewhere on the UFC 40s, 41, 42, 43, he had made a comment, and it's been lost over the years, because I'd have to go find it. But he said something that I thought was really true at the time, which was uh, martial arts has advanced more in the last 10 years than in the last 10,000. Now, maybe that's not quite true. That seems a little bit much. But um, there, there, there's a kernel of insight there. Uh, or maybe he said 1,000 or 100. Whatever it was, it was a fraction. But there's a kernel of insight there, which was everyone had developed these systems and the systems all had, a, it turns out, a little bit of truth to them. There is some value to karate. There is some value to taekwondo and sambo, and in particular judo, American wrestling, folk style, freestyle. All of them have a little bit of something, or you know, some more than others, about what worked. But they were closed-off systems. There was no cross-training. And in that closed-offness, what it created was this what they call epistemic closure. And people beginning to believe, again, to varying degrees a lot of nonsense about what was true and what it wasn't and what humans responded to and what you could do. And again, ancient traditions and mysticism and all that nonsense. And then you put it all in there and it all, 
you realize so much of it is just nonsense. It's just crap. Just crap. And jujitsu and MMA were liberating to the MMA or to, to the martial arts world. They were truly like it freed you. It freed you from this this crap that you were kind of had to used to pay attention to. You know, and look at how different martial arts movies are as a consequence. You know, they're I mean they're not the same as they used to be. The same kind of you know when I grew up as a kid, it was a lot of like ninjas and the power of their ability to. You know, not merely conceal, but to use secret, secret Asian wisdoms. You know, it, all that stuff's gone. Uh, maybe to a regrettable degree for losing things like Big Trouble in Little China. But you get the idea. It has transformed martial arts. And we, someone asked last week about the guy in China who goes around beating up t- traditional martial arts guys, pissing off everyone. But he's kind of made his point. Anyway, I, I would have thought people who... like. I, I get, I understand that certain people are going to get into jujitsu for an MMA for reasons of they just like, you know, coordinated, calculated violence. Okay. Or self-defense or something. But the level of like scientific ignorance, and again, no, none of us are, inf- well, you might be, but most of us watching are not infectious disease experts. But go back to what I had recommended before. It's not about being an expert. It's just about being literate. Are you literate in world geography? Are you literate? in infectious diseases are you literate about it's impossible to be literate in everything but you got to make a genuine attempt and you would think that people would understand what jujitsu means and and why we understand what works it's 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 part of a process of discovering the truth without without any bias without uh without saying well you can do takedowns but um you can't grab the pants uh when you're wearing a gi or um you know uh, or any kind of a stupid rule that just preserves some kind of weakness in the system. It's about discovering what actually works. And then, you know, about diet and, uh, and exercise and heart rate and like monitoring, all this stuff. And then it ends up leading to some of that being like put to good use. And a lot of it, like this sharing of profound scientific ignorance and no respect. And then here's the other part too. You see all these fighters lashing out and jujitsu guys, you know, if someone makes a comment about how they do bad in a fight, well, you never fought. You don't know anything. Okay, fair point. Um, there's infectious disease experts who've been doing this kind of stuff with mathematical modeling longer than you've been alive. We don't have to respect what they have to say. Like there's this, there's this demand for reverence for expertise without conferring it on literally any other form of expertise. And it's just, it's like no one needs to be taken 100% at face value, but having a little bit of deference for that is kind of important, right? I mean, I have to listen to coaches when they tell me, you're wrong about this, you're right about this, and here's why. Probably because they know more. I'm reasonably fight literate, but they're experts. I should listen to them, right? It's the similar kind of thing, and you don't get hardly it. Dude, there are so many fucking crackpots. Like, you know, I, I again, we I get flack all the time for like when I say like there's not that many good guys. Dude, it's the same kind of situation with any kind of organizing principle around something it just creates that's a little bit of a a stretch i've just found when you've got the system uh when when you've got martial arts what you often have is just a lot of ingredients for for attracting weirdos you have a lot of ingredients for um you know cult-like reverence of established figures especially in jiu-jitsu where you have like the belts and everyone's bowing and stuff, you would think like, oh, that instills honor and discipline. It can. It often does. It often insulates people who are 
abusers in that role to do what they're going to do. The amount of sexual harassment that goes on. Um, uh, you know, these two guys, the, the Lopez guys uh, from Taekwondo, reportedly, allegedly, serial abusers uh, in this regard. You know, it just goes on and on and on and on. Uh, you know, I think that if you if you have the right relationship to martial arts and you're a responsible adult and you can do the right things, you can get a lot out of it. But you have to be really careful in these worlds, man, because there are charlatans, of course, yes, but there are people who are experts in these fields that then create these weird bubbles around them, demanding fealty, presenting, sharing weird worldviews, and then attracting like-minded people, and then stamping out this other stuff. Dude, Keenan Cornelius, let, let it be a lesson to every one of you. Let it be a lesson to every one of you. Doing and saying the right things, leading by example, it will not win you friends in this world. Not very often. You don't do it for those reasons. You do it because it's the appropriate thing to do because somebody has to be the person who carries the torch for rationality and reason and scientific literacy in these communities the best that they can. That's, that's, that's why you do it because it's very harmful if no one says anything. That's why you do it. Not because I'm going to be made to look so good or um, isn't, it, isn't it great that I'm a martyr for these causes? Man, fuck being a martyr. There's, there's no value in it, Right? It might be a cost of doing business for things you really believe in, but it's not a super like coveted thing to be. So, you know, I give all the credit in the world to Keenan for speaking out and he should continue to do that because not that it's going to help his enrollment in his school. It probably won't, but because it's just the right thing to do. That's it. That's why you do it. You think age will play a factor when Tony fights Khabib? Well, here's a funny thing you should consider. Was he 36 going on 37? The answer is it could. The answer is it might already. Which is to say, if you look at his last few fights with Cerrone and Pettis, uh, they're very, very good fighters, especially with Cerrone. But um, you know he was trying to keep a pretty active schedule that year. And he didn't get stop-stopped. He got stopped because of an injury that he had exacerbated by his own actions. I mean, he was losing the fight, to be clear. But... The point being is, you haven't seen him tested against a top three guy in a little while. And so, I kind of wonder if age has already caught up with him, but the competition hasn't been the kind that can show that. Now, if you're saying, well, Luke, if it's only top three guys that can do it, how much could it be a factor? Maybe not much. Point being is, we the Khabib fight was important for any number of reasons, not least of which is, to what extent already is age relevant, not merely if it gets delayed, how relevant it could be then. What are your thoughts on the relative slap on the wrist that John Jones was handed out by the New Mexico court? Yeah, you know what? It was kind of funny. I had a lawyer friend tell me he could do time, but it's un, you know it's hard to know. But then I saw this. Well, I saw this. Um... Oh, wow. Marcos Vujegas. Uh, Wow. His brother-in-law got uh, corona. Wow. Uh, the D.C. government, you see, you may not have, but their projections are by the time July rolls around, one in seven D.C. residents is going to have it. One in seven. Anyway, getting back to your question about the um, law enforcement. So you, I follow Matt Grossman uh, on Twitter. Matt Grossman is a uh, political scientist out of Michigan State. 
he works at the Niskanen Center, a 538 contributor. He just is always reading science or uh, political science papers, books, and then reacting to them. So if you look at it like the leading edge of political science thought and research, Matt Grossman is a great guy to follow. Anyway, uh, he had looked at some studies, and what they show is that uh, the jail population as of the 31st of March is decreasing on average on weekly cycles. The population is down by 17.6% since March 16th and the set of 277 facilities for which they have continuous daily data. And then they were relating it all to the COVID-19 considerations. And I know a lot of folks are like enraged about it. Number one, our prisons are overcrowded to begin with. Number two, that doesn't mean that every person who gets released, there won't be a rate of recidivism or an act of recidivism that would make you concerned. There might be, there probably will be. I doubt everyone getting out is just going to act like an angel. But number one, the prisons are overcrowded. Number two, Understand something, dude, right? They can't let out the worst offenders. But if someone is in there, maybe who's in the middle of an appeals process, and they get sick and they die, and this runs rampant. And by the way, not just the, not just the prisoners, but now the corrections officers, because there's a shortage of personal protective equipment. Do you understand the amount of lawsuits that are going to happen? <laughs> you understand that? It's going to be, it'll, it'll cripple these various institutions. So they have no choice but to take out who you can, leave everyone else, and fight that battle. Die, die on that hill. Don't die on the hill of this low-level marijuana offender, you know, or this, even this low-level drug dealer, whatever, deserves to be in here. Just let it rock. Streets are empty anyway. Um, you know, and again, that doesn't mean there's not going to be a rate of recidivism. That you have to take into consideration, but it's just a cost worth paying. Now you're asking about uh, about John Jones. I suspect that that played a big role. I mean, there's now data to show at a federal level that this is happening, right? Um, how are traditional BJJ academies and Tenth Planet different? I'm not really equipped to answer this one. Because I've never stepped foot in a 10th Planet institution. So I do not know. I do not know. I've been to many, many schools. I've never been to a 10th Planet one. I can tell you this. The one thing I would say is um, 10th Planet used to be like real renegade outsiders, you know, who were very much, even if, even if Eddie was, uh, you know, a Jean-Jacques student. They were very much kind of outsiders, and they would have. I remember when they would like. Uh, do you guys remember when uh, Eddie Bravo made the Dark Planet website and had like a beef with Catch Wrestling, and they were like making fun of Catch Wrestling? Like there was this whole thing. Um, and now that's not really true. Now it's everyone is all part of the same high school, but you got your emo kids, you got your jocks, whatever. And this is an overly simplistic explanation. All I mean to say is they're still a little bit kind of independent. But they're much, much, much more a part of the jiu-jitsu mainstream than they ever have been. And they've got A-level competitors now, and they didn't used to. I mean, Eddie was one, um, you know, but, you know, one of his other students, Gerald Strebent, went to jail for murder and shit. Like, uh, you know, and you had independent, you had, you had like MMA fighters picking up Tony, Ben Saunders, stuff like that. But, um, 
as a, just a general trend, it's you, you see so many more. Eddie's been a major success in this regard, a totally major success. Now, I think one of the things that has been an insight that he had had that was wildly wrong, which was that this would be a great guard for MMA, only to not realize that the guard itself would not have much value in MMA, at least modern MMA. Maybe that will change if they change rule sets or depending on how things go in the future. I don't know. But what I can say is like, you know, oh, this will be the guard for the future. Not, not that, that didn't turn out to be true. On the other hand, that he was able to develop a style of jiu-jitsu that was a little bit unusual, incorporated some different pr- principles and some practices, and that that could be really useful for, um, you know, both commercial results as well as professional results and student recruitment. Yeah, he was really on the money with that. Massively so. Let's do a couple more of these and we'll get to the, uh, the donations. Luke, kind of a weird question, but how is it being Luke Thomas? Yeah, that's a weird one. Do you get noticed a lot when you're out and about before the Rona? Yes. Do you feel somewhat of a celebrity? How is it being able to talk to and even hang out with fighters and celebrities such as <laughs> Brendan Schaub? I'm not sure if you're taking the dig or not. Um, yeah, I mean, look, I didn't really get into it for that. Like, oh, I get to go hang out with fucking, you know, luminaries. Um fact all of that comes with a cost i just don't like to pay which is you know pissing off everybody uh well i don't mind that but you know if you're going to be friends with people it's hard to say things about them anyway uh i do get recognized a fair bit not all the time not, not a lot but um you know it used to happen a lot more outside of the city it happened it happens a lot in new york virtually every time i go um and now it's happening a lot more in D.C., although obviously to your point. You know what? I'll be honest. Uh, you know what I attribute that to almost entirely? I attribute that to YouTube. I attribute that almost entirely to YouTube. Because I remember when I was doing MMA Uncensored Live, I never one time got stopped by somebody who was like, oh, you're that guy on TV. Never happened. I start doing YouTube videos, and it happened overnight. Overnight. So fast. And it, again, I don't have the hardcore data to be like, hey, you know, every person who stops me, uh, you're that dude from so-and-so. Hey, where did you find me? But it, you just often hear them say things like, oh, you're the guy from that video. I saw your video, blah, blah, blah on the video. YouTube has been such a dramatic um, profile booster, right? Which is why partly you can see why I want to invest in the studio because if things go tits up from a corporate standpoint, and I can still make this happen. I'm not saying I don't need them, but it, again, it's fairly great insurance for my needs. Um, you know, and do I like all that stuff? Look, at first, when you get noticed and you get attention, it feels nice. Uh, and of course, of course, I appreciate anybody who says anything nice, who stops me, sends me a note even, but in person in particular too. And 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 I've never had one person stop me who was rude or mean or demeaning or weird, completely the opposite. It's been great. At first, it's kind of fun. But then you realize, I don't, how do I explain this? I appreciate the act of someone showing that kind of support. And it's nice to know that people are noticing your work. I don't derive pleasure from it in the way that you might imagine. Like, 
it's nice to happen. It's almost like I treat it like a sunny day. Like, oh, it's a nice day today. You know, it's really great. I, I appreciate that. But it's not why I got into it. I got into it because I want, uh, I want to do work that I'm proud of. I want to have a voice in the industry that I think the industry needs. And um, yes, you have to develop a presence. You have to have an audience. Like all these things matter. But it's not principally why I do it. It's just, you know, it's fun on occasion, right? Uh, the only time it really was fun was when, you know, because, dude, I could name, like, my like no one, <laughs> very few members of anyone in my family pay attention to anything that I do. Like, I don't think anyone in my Thomas family knows that this exists or uh, my radio show. I could call my radio show. Luke hates his family, and they would never know the difference. They would. Ne- I've literally planned out surprise parties for people on the air on my show uh, for my family because I knew they'd never listen. Like it would just never get back to them. They just they don't care about MMA. They don't watch it. They don't care. It's not a thing, which is fine. Um, so I remember one time I was out with my family, and I was at a, a restaurant, and a dude came up, and he was very enthusiastic. He was super cool, and. Uh, I didn't think anything of it, but then I realized, you know, took, you know, whatever it was, hung out with him for like a minute or so just to say thanks, sit back down at the table. And I remembered that was, I sat down and my dad was like impressed, like, wow. And my sister was too. And I remember that was the first time they'd ever seen the impact of, uh, or the audience itself reflected in everyday life. And, uh, that was impressive for them. So it was nice to, to show them. It's like, <laughs> I know you think this work is utterly without redemption, <laughs> but some people like it. Some people like it. All right. Let's get to your uh, questions if we can here. And then, oops. All right. And again, all donations, all donations go to charity this month. And then from last week too, even though it wasn't April. I'm going to go that week and then everything else. I think the last one is the 24th. Uh, All the donations go to charity. So please donate. Please, 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 if you can. Hang on one second here. Okay. Michael asks, of the current UFC roster, does anyone strike you as someone who would have done well in Pride? You need to be a bit of a savage, smart, good cardio, because remember they did 10-minute first rounds, and I think Tony would have done well. I think um, I think Connor would have been an interesting one, because he would have been really good in Pride, but then um, the 10-minute round would have probably hurt him a little bit, you know? So Pride, as I recall, was a 10-minute round and then a 5-minute round. And then the bigger ones were a 10-minute round and then two. I think that's how it worked. God, it's been so long. And then two of the fives. He'd have been an interesting one because he would have had big victories in that organization. But at the same time, I think the, the cardio issues would have, would have made him pay for it there. In other words, similar to how things are going here, but slightly different probably. So Tony would have been great. Um, 
you know, someone who isn't entirely reliant on the wrestling, I think, would be big. So I wonder if Khabib would be just as good there. I wonder about that. Um, you know, obviously, Demetrius Johnson can thrive in any, in any, in any rule set. I'm trying to think. I think Max Holloway would thrive, you know. Um, and also, you know, having good ground and pound, too. Um, like, Fedor was perfect for, for Pride because um, he was, like, submission – Centric when he needed to be, mobile hips, good takedowns, but unorthodox. He didn't use the ropes for him. Strike on the feet, fast. Like that, that's kind of a thing. Um, who else would be good? Adesanya, obviously, knowing the ring the way he does would be great. Um, John Jones would be an interesting one. Because the pride ring is bigger than a boxing ring, but it's the same dimensions. right? It's just a square. So it's four right angles, or a rectangle anyway. Um, I wonder how people being in closer contact with him would have would have done things. Because if you guys noticed, when Krokop came over to Pride, from Pride to UFC, he had trouble cornering people. Because as opposed to a right angle, the angle would be like this. All the way open, all the way around. So escaping to the left and to the right from someone who's trying to corner you is, relatively speaking, easier in UFC. Uh, how would John Jones fare, this current version of him, dealing with 90-degree right angle turns? That's an interesting one. Don't know the answer, but um, yeah, Tony would be great for that. Tony would be Tony would thrive in a pride rule set. J- Japanese MMA was at once the top of the sport, but upon watching some classics, I felt it just hasn't evolved much over the past few years. Why is that? Yeah, they had a, the power center changed, so... I mean, again, part of what made Japanese MMA great was that it had a big roster of fighters to choose from, and they had big promotions that could recruit all the other better ones. A lot of the Japanese gyms went out of business. A lot of the promotions went out of business, and the industry just collapsed and certainly declined. And so I don't think there's been quite the level of best practice pushes uh, in the same kind of way that there used to be. I mean, there used to be menageries of teams and... You know, and all kinds of stuff, and and rivalries, and blah blah. And all, so much of it is gone. Been seeing a lot of classic film talk around here. I want to recommend Andrei Rublev, nineteen sixty six, particularly to the artists and any history buffs. Life changing stuff. A true master work of the medium. There you go. Great recommendation. Thank you. John Jones claimed to have fight related memory and anxiety issues in his arrest video. In light of that. Should commissions have John evaluated or conduct some sort of due diligence before licensing him to fight again? Yes. Yes, they should. I'm not saying they should deny him a license, but should they bring that up and find an explanation for that? Yes. I think he said he had short-term memory issues, would I recall in the video. But absolutely. That's fair game. Mm-hmm. Khabib's new interview with Okamoto is trending on YouTube. Does that indicate high interest around this fight? It indicates high interest around the fight, yes. It indicates high interest around Nurmagomedov. Nurmagomedov is a global star. Is a big combat sports star. How do you think UFC 249 will do on pay-per-view? Without him? This is the other part about UFC 249 that's so funny. It's like, number one, you're trying to put it on in a pandemic. You don't have a location. uh, It's not even clear you're going to be able to pull it off. Number two. Even if you can pull it off, you just lost your global superstar. So you might have Tony versus Justin Gaethje, but neither of them is proven as a pay-per-view draw as it stands. They're not. They're very, very talented fighters, and they might do okay or even well. They're not going to touch what Nurmagomedov can do on pay-per-view. It's not going to happen. 
He is a major, major attraction. Okay, Traffic driver, the whole nine yards. So now you've lost that. Then, in the last two weeks, 10 million Americans have lost their jobs. And that's just what we know from the weeks prior. It gets reported at this point. In other words, um, we know that there's 10 million because it's been reported. But as it stands today, it's probably higher. You're talking 13 15% unemployment by April 18th. You're talking like Great Depression type shit, you know? And you're going to charge 70 bucks for a pay-per-view for not having the global superstar on the card? Okay. Sammy says, thanks for being you. Well, thanks, Sammy. Look, if Connor were to beat Justin or Tony on short notice, do you think his detractors will still say he doesn't deserve a title shot? Yep, they would. Connor's detractors cannot, they cannot give him credit. And I'm not here to say that um, that win, if you went in there, especially if they blew him out in like a minute, you know, I'm not saying that there wouldn't be a case to do a rematch. There might be something to that, right? Like maybe this is not the best circumstance to identify who is actually better of the two. Um, But I also don't want to discredit a win to be like, oh, he only got the win because of a pandemic, LOL. It could be obviously a very important contributing factor. But, um, dude, his critics will never give him an inch. They will say nothing nice. They will say nothing nice. Can Tony scramble out of Khabib's ground and pound? On some level, yes. But the question is, how often and how much? You know, we don't. We know he doesn't tire, but um, how far is Khabib advancing? Like when you say scramble, is he able to scramble from a bad position to a somewhat bad position? Is he able to scramble from a bad position to a neutral or advantage advantageous position? Uh, how often? Why is he getting put in these bad positions? Is he scrambling at the ends of rounds where it's too late? So, like, the answer is yes on some level, but the devil's in the details. Endeavor took out a four-plus billion uh, debt at 8.5% interest. They now have a B credit rating. Endeavor mentioned temporary liquidity, but cash is king, and this may go on for longer. Will fighter pay suffer? I think that's the story to follow. Um... Everyone who, has, everyone who has had, to my knowledge, a chance to ask Dana about Endeavor has not. They've not asked, um, hey, is Endeavor like in trouble and that's why you guys are being pimped out like an ATM? Because the UFC as a business is a great asset for Endeavor. It's well run. It makes money. Now, the current situation is a little bit challenging, but up to this point, it has credit to those people. It is great. It's a great asset to have. Whether it's worth the debt at the money they paid for it, separate conversation. But like, is this a well-run, lucrative business? Absolutely. Um, so part of me just wonders if Dana White's saying what he's saying because you you know endeavors on the hook trying to force it. The other uh, the other way, the reason why I'm a little bit skeptical of that is, I think that's true. But at the same time, when you get out there and you're saying they're like these totally scientifically illiterate things how much of that plays a role too you know again there's this, this weird undercurrent of scientific illiteracy in MMA among its people like like boastful illiteracy that i just don't understand um but it's you know it touches seemingly every corner so will fighter pay suffer i mean look we'll see how long this thing goes but um it could it could 
Uh, this person writes, the government public health officials told us not to wear masks for months. Now they tell us to. Was this because of the shortage? Did they lie so that they had time to stockpile them? It's been airborne. Yeah, they've not had ever. They've not. They're not batting a thousand. I mean, let's be clear about that. I mean, their general warnings of concern, um, they got right. The, the 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 potential for its spread, they got right. Um, individual methods of dealing with it, it's an evolving science. Like they don't understand this virus very well. We don't have a vaccine for it. We like we like herd immunity with the normal flu. It appears from what I read and looked up and talked to folks about because I've had epidemiologists now on my show multiple times. What they tell me is that if you have an ordinary flu, first of all, it's hospitalizing less people. Um, people are getting it and again, immediately getting symptoms. So then they usually kind of, you know, stop work or there's some level to shield themselves and you can get a vaccine for it. And so if enough people have a vaccine and enough people are shielding themselves, that, that really helps for creating this sort of herd immunity where a lot of other people won't get it. But you have none of those things with the COVID-19 because we don't know shit all about this thing. Um, and the way it was explained to me was like, again, you could touch your mask uh, and you could get it on the mask. But that just means you should clean the mask in, in any event um, for an average person. So the way it's being explained now is I understand it is that it's not going to prevent you if someone breathes on you and they don't have a mask. You're just going to inhale all that stuff through the mask. It'll get through. But rather, if they uh, have a mask on and you have a mask on, then the risk of transmission drops down significantly. And so everyone should wear one. It probably had something to do with not merely the evolving science about this, but also about concerns about what kind of protective gear was available. There's probably a lot of things that are happening. But um, they did fuck that up. Yeah. What is your beef with Bisping? I don't have one. He might have one with me. I don't have one with him. And general strike? I don't know what that means. No, I don't have any beef with Bisping. I mean, I know he doesn't love my anti-doping views, but um, that's not a reason to hate anybody. So, no, I don't. I've, I've actually been quite complimentary of him over the years. With the dangers present in holding a non-essential business gathering, such as a UFC event, and a blatant disregard for contractor employee health, where is the fighters' union talk? I don't think this is the right time for it. They might be frustrated by the situation, but there's no empowerment. There's no empowerment. They feel powerless. If anything, they're 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 nervous. They're uh, you know trying to figure out how the hell they're going to get through all this. Like that. That's this is so not the time for it. Uh, you, you looking merely at the power imbalance is not the way to do this. The power imbalance is one ingredient. Yes. But now, how do you get a bunch of people um, who are financially desperate, who are hard to communicate with en masse, who don't live in the same area, how do you get them to buy into some kind of action? And what would that action even be right now, considering there's no ability to organize, no ability to stage any kind of public uh, process uh, or event? Like, there's nothing. So, no, now is not, now is not a good time. Kind of been over this one. Thoughts on what Khabib said on an ESPN interview? I think largely all pretty true. Which statement is more likely to be true? UFC 249 will take place on April 18th. Carol Baskin killed her husband. You know what? I'll say this. Probably Carol Baskin. Uh, I'll say this for old Carol. She's obviously a she's obviously a total weirdo. I mean, let's just be honest about that. But they made some claims in that Netflix documentary that were not individually corroborated. Let me give you an example. 
Joe Exotic would be like, oh, they don't take any good care of their tigers any better than we do. And it would kind of show you like one tiger enclosure where um, it would be a little bit overgrown or there'd be a weird area where they got water. But um, I read around the idea that like there's a bunch of animal activists upset at Big Cat Rescue for their animal treatment is not true. Now, Baskin's story about her ex-husband is weird as balls. And on top of that, I would add, like, the labor exploitation that she does, where everyone comes to the thing and works for free so they can just be around big cats, is absurd. And she's totally shameful behavior on her part. But, like, that dude who picked her up, don't y'all remember the story, her original husband who picked her up? She was frantic walking down the street, you know, from this terrible situation. And this dude drives by to pick her up. She says no. Drives by to pick her up. She says no. Drives by a third time and hands her a pistol and was like, if you feel unsafe, you can use it on me. Bros, gents, ladies, not a normal person. <laughs> he ain't normal either. He's not accounted for in this situation because we don't know where the hell he is. He's probably dead. And maybe Carol Baskin murdered him. I, you know, it's alleged from all of this. But uh, that's not a normal dude either, dude. That's a weird, that's a weird, do you know anyone who's ever picked up a girl by handing her a pistol? That fucker was weird too, man. Can you check out the song my band made for Tony? Uh, sure. Thoughts on Captain Crozier being relieved. What a joke. What a total joke. Captain Crozier was, um, the, uh, captain for this, um, I believe it was an aircraft carrier. Um, uh, Captain Crozier was relieved because he was the one who was asking, um, essentially the Navy for assistance related to a COVID-19 outbreak, uh, on the vessel. And on, on top of that, he was, if you read his letter, it was undercutting some of the decisions the Navy had made. So there was a, there was a tone of insubordination there, but, um, dude, so I tried to explain this to somebody. Okay, a captain in the Navy is an 06. It's the equivalent in the Army and the Marines of a colonel, a full bird colonel. That's what they call them. So it's if the, ar- the Army ranks, see if I can remember this, uh, second lieutenant, first lieutenant, captain, or maybe first and second. You get the bars, they go from gold to silver, and then you get the two silvers as the captain, uh, the major, which is the gold sort of leaf, then you get a lieutenant colonel, which is the silver leaf, and then you get full bird colonel. Right, that's that's one, and then the next one after colonel is brigadier general, which is one star general. Which is to say, you had a captain, which is the equivalent of a full bird colonel in the navy. Um, this guy was a naval academy grad. He was a naval aviator. He was part of the joint task force in Italy for NATO as an as a naval liaison. Um, had commanded a series of ships and prestigious assignments. Was had a master's from the War College, and here he was, you know, commanding a uh, massively critical vessel for the United States Navy. This guy was on a track to be an admiral. Okay, that's what he was on track. He was on track to be an admiral. That's what he was going to do with his life, and he threw his career away for the protection of his sailors. They say they're going to reassign him, and they will. Technically, he will be reassigned. He was fired. He'll be reassigned. That is the end of his career, folks. Mark my words. He is never going to see, was it uh, 
uh, rear admirals, what they call them, I believe. I forgot the ranking structure in the Navy. It'd be a brigadier general, essentially a one-star general in the, in the Marine Corps of the uh, Army. He will never see admiral. He will be investigated. He'll be reprimanded. I don't know if he'll be demoted or not, but he will be given the most bullshit duty station imaginable and the most BS duty imaginable, totally irrelevant to any kind of growth curve. And uh, that will be the Navy's signal to him to either retire or get out. Mark my words. He will not ever see Admiral ever. Ever. And he did it for the protection of his, of his men and his women and his sailors. That is an American hero. That is exactly what you want from your leaders. You saw that video that came out today of the sailors, and there probably might be some Marines on that trip as well, but cheering him on, Captain Crozier, dun, 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 dun. In all of my years in the military, I've never seen anything like that. Most of the time, to be honest, as enlisted men, we look down on the officers. Had a couple of good ones here or there. A lot of them are shitbirds. Uh, I have never, ever seen anything like that. Ever. Ever. Right? Um, that's a leader. That's a leader of men and women right there. And to just forego his career to do the right thing that he thought was, you know, not merely the right thing for the Navy, but for his vessel and the sailors who were on it. That's a real American hero right there. Assuming quarantine pre precautions won't be lifted by May 9th, do you think the UFC will make a push to have UFC 250 continue on? Well, that was the other weird part, right? They were saying, you know, after UFC 249, we're just going to get rocking and rolling. Are you? <laughs> Where? How? It's like, I'm not even wishing ill. I don't even understand how, like, maybe, maybe they can pull 249 off. Maybe. How are you going to pull all that other shit off? Any USMC OCS leadership general tips? Yes, I'll give you one. Never been to OCS, had a lot of friends who did. If you don't know what officer, uh, uh, OCS is officer candidate school. It's like their boot camp, basically, okay? Uh, be in good shape. Be in extremely good shape. Because not only is the training course grueling, I'm told, but they really expect that they don't think you're going to be the strongest, the fastest in your platoon once you eventually get assigned. But if you're in an infantry unit and you're a, you know, a second, I think a second lieutenant was the one with the, the gold bar. Uh, I can't even remember anymore. If you're a second lieutenant fresh out of OCS and you're falling behind in humps and you're falling out during runs, you will lose all respect immediately from those men. So you got to get right to the front. So you want some, you want some piece of advice, have a first class PFT. Person writes, rural life greater than city life. Yeah, right now. Probably right now. But I wouldn't trade being a city guy for anything. Uh, lightning round. Luke Thomas edition. Luke versus Dana versus Rogan versus Yoel and a salsa dance-off. Oh, I could not beat Yoel. His moves won him the attention of the first lady of Donk Nation, but can he go pro? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I can hold my own for an American, but I don't know that I'm going to beat some kind of... Uh, uh, you know, Juan Luis Guerra fan. Bennett says, love the show. Luke, no questions. Just be safe. Thank you for the don donation. It will go to good cause. Fight Pass just dropped some martial arts movie content. What is your favorite old school Asian martial arts film? Now, you mean like fight movies? 
So we're doing a bracket challenge on my radio show right now. Um, first of all, I'm a huge fan of Big Trouble in Little China. Kurt Russell kills it in that movie. I love that movie. Um, like you're talking about like favorite fight movies. Obviously, who doesn't love Kickboxer, Bloodsport? Um, if you know, I'll be honest, man. Are you guys paying? T- like, have you all seen the Raid? The Raid Two, The Night Comes for Us. Those are I've never seen fight movies that as fight movies, not like movies, movies, but like fight movies. I've never seen them that good. That one is so good, so good. Um, so like old school though. Yeah, um, you know, Karate Kid, um, American Ninja was fun when I was a kid. You know, Chuck Norris had some decent ones. Never a Charles Bronson guy. That was a little bit before my my time. That's about it. Stay strong, stay sharp, stay generous. Yes, sir. How would you try improving the prison systems? I've had prisoners say it's bad one to two years. Why give lifetime? It also costs money. Is it a net plus benefit? You know, I'm not, this is far outside of my area of expertise. However, I did read a paper about, um, and, and I actually read some interviews later from some folks who were involved. I heard it on a podcast, but the podcast itself wasn't about it. They had referenced it. So I found this paper. And uh, God, where was this? This was so long ago I read this. I want to say it was Sweden, where they had had prisons that were run in ways like they were individual communes. But, you know, people, I mean, they were under a block and key, but they had individual um Little dorms, essentially. Very, very small, like four to a hut, you know. Not a hut, but like a small building. Enough where they could cook their own food, interact with one another. You know, they were limited in what they could do, but they were required to be self-sufficient. There were classes. And I remember that the essentially the reaction was from American law enforcement professionals. They couldn't believe what they were looking at. They were like, these must be, you know, low-level offenders. Yeah, we could do that with our low-level offenders too, and they were not. They were they were very, they were not totally high-level offenders, but there were a couple of murderers in there. Um, there were a couple of rapists in there. I mean, there was some, you know, not great people. And the central insight was everything we've been led to believe about um, the penal system in this country is backwards, which is that the entire element of rehabilitation has been thrown away. Right? I mean, we all make prison rape jokes, but if you think about it if you send someone to prison and they get radicalized and they're involved in rapes and they're raping and they're getting into gang life and the, the takeover of gang life in, in prisons has been, you know, extraordinary. Um, there's no real, there's no real attempt there at that point at rehabilitation. Like there's a little bit of scared straight kind of stuff, but that only affects a small portion. It doesn't really work as a, as a broader strategy. Anyway, and what they had found was that when you do the opposite, when you have, when you, when you empower them and give them a self the degree of self-sufficiency, and when you re- require them to learn, um, the rates of recidivism are lower, the rehabilitation is greater. It's a complete inversion. Now, how doable that is, I don't know. And it involves a series of other policy changes. You have to have different drug laws that change prison sentencing guidelines. Um, you'd have to have more money spent on these kinds of facilities to make this possible. There would be a lot of changes that have to go into more than just merely an observational change. But when you look at old prisons and you look at new prisons, new prisons might look more high-tech, but the central insight remains the same, which is that we're dealing with a 19th century system of justice. In fact, it's gotten worse. Um, 
back in the 19th century, right up until the last decade, I believe, there was no such thing as a life sentence for murder. That's actually a modern invention. And you might say, oh, that's a great invention. Maybe in certain cases, somebody becomes such a societal burden that excluding them really becomes necessary. But, um, you know, and there has been certainly a reduction in crime, which, which criminologists from the 90s on aren't entirely sure about what to tie to. Was it the reduction of lead in the water? You know, but they don't tie it to mass incarceration as the key. They don't ever tie. There's no evidence that mass incarceration was the key to that. And so, if it's not, and now gang life is taking it over, and then radicalizing people, and we've got more people in jail than any other country in the world, perhaps if not buying into a uh, Scandinavian model, a, a different one is necessary. This is entirely overblown. There's plenty of evidence that models are wrong. Well, the models are only as good as the assumptions between being made into it. The flu already killed more people since January. I've not seen any evidence of that. My cousin works in a hospital in the Bay Area. There are no overloaded ERs in California. Well, a buddy of mine works as one in an ER doctor in New York, and uh, he is terrified every day. Also, I suspect that um, all of this is going to come your way soon. Thoughts on the economic stimulus bill, and do you think taking into account mild symptomatic cases not tested could skew mortality rates down? Don't know about the latter part, but the only thing I'll say about the stimulus bill is it's not much of a stimulus, right? I mean, that's what they're calling it. I'd call that a disaster relief bill. Um, it looks to me like more like four to five trillion is going to be necessary to keep people in their homes and businesses running and uh, the economy from just utterly collapsing. So it says, keep up the good work and stay safe. Thank you. Luke, your vocabulary is extensive. Any tips on improving your vocabulary? Just read. Just read. Uh, hold on, I have one here. So, I kept these books from uh, high school. Vocabulary Workshop. And, uh, ha, this is funny. Um, this was an old classmates of mine. But like here is the words, and they make you use it in a sentence and everything. Let me give you an example. Uh, risable, symptomatic, affinity, uh, divination, cognate, ineffable, elixir, cul-de-sac, corollary, lugubrious, hoi polloi, parameter. Um, you know, one thing I, is, like, I can recommend is, uh, so you can just go through books like that if you really wanted to. Those are fine as like a, a supplementary source. Um, I have a Kindle. And you, can, and you don't even need a Kindle. You can do it on your Kindle app on your phone. So let's see here. Hang on. And I know I've gone long. So you, that's my daughter right there. But you got the Kindle app. See that? God damn it. So there's the Kindle app, right? And on it, what you can do is when you're reading, when you're reading, if you don't know a word, you can look it up and you can set the settings such that anytime you look up a word, it saves it saves that as in a bank of all the words you've ever looked up. And then if you want to go back and do like vocabulary word games, it's got them built in to the software there. So if there's not a word that I know, I just go and click on it, look up the word. I'm like, okay, oh, now I understand what it means. And then I'll go back over it later on if I have some time. It's a great way to learn. Someone says, thanks for everything you do. Thank you for the donation. Luke, uh, did you ever use your VA loan for your home? I did not. 
did not. You were given a blank check to show that, sorry, you were given a blank check to bring back a show that was canceled too early. What show? Oh, you mean like a TV show? Um, well, Family Guy was originally canceled, right? Um, gosh, I don't know. I have to take a rain check on that. That's a great question. I don't know. Any thoughts on Sanders' relief plan? Haven't seen it yet. Any chance it'll be more dissected? Yes. There's more coming. Um, watching this UFC 249 saga unfold, if you had told me an MMA fighter from Dagestan had more reasonable opinions than UFC and its fans about holding an event in a pandemic, yeah, you and me both, brother. Who do you think improved more between Tony and Khabib from the first time they were set to fight to now? Probably Tony. Uh, dictionary of cultural literacy should be required as a civilian, as well as the demon-haunted world. Yeah, from Carl Sagan. Yep. Uh, Guns, Germs, and Steel is mostly incredibly gripping, although after hearing about seeds for half an hour, I'm borderline comatose. Do you pick your battles when it comes to knowledge, or are you are your teacher or are you your own teacher's pet look um you got to learn how to self-teach which means you know pushing through has some values on the other hand if it really is that painful jumping around is probably not the worst thing in the world is it true you speak french i do not and that you and your bro have a restaurant no my brother and my sister had one they just closed it Please keep up asking the important questions without regards to UFC sensitivity. I'm trying. Uh, what do you think of KSW champ Saladin Parmas? Parmasi. Don't know enough about him. I apologize. My band wrote a song for Tony Ferguson. Yes, just send it to me. Uh, <laughs> um... All right. Hey, Luke, love your work. I also like Ariel. Differences aside, do you think he's a good media member? No. You guys provide a good dynamic as fans of both. Like what you like, not for me. My family lives in Tehran. Knowing about these mass graves devastates me. Thanks for being the voice of reason. Yeah, it's terrible, Iran. If anyone reading this is safe at home, please have a sense of gratitude and perspective, certainly. Someone says, go watch Contagion. I've been meaning to watch it, man. I've just not gotten around to it. The best movie about the Ronies. <laughs> uh, let's see. Luke, if you get to call the shots for a day and was able to create the next main card from scratch, who would you put on it? Obviously, Khabib Tony, DC Stipe, Adesanya uh, versus um, Till. I'd love to see. I'd love to see um, Kamaru. I would love to see. Uh, I would love to see. Uh, I'd love to see Colby and uh, Jorge, or Jorge and Kamaru as like a secondary, and then maybe Volkanovski Holloway, maybe maybe Sandhagen Cruz. Has Volk has Volkanovski had the most rapid technical growth in striking skill? If not him, who else? 
And what is most responsible for his growth? Is it the CKB striking system, his athleticism, or intelligence? He has had certainly rapid development, but to answer the question about what's responsible, the CKB system, as good as it is, is a fairly late addition to his game. He's got other coaches he has had. So I would say probably those other coaches, a little spice of CKB, and then the other things you had pointed out, his athleticism, his intelligence. What degree can combat sports be broken down into systems? Do established systems trump the need for long-term experience? Um, oh my God, my kid's got to stop screaming. Um, I think Nikki Rod is going to, yes, in the mind of a really great teacher and somebody who's got skills that natively don't really apply or people don't really have them at that level, and you really give him a very focused game plan. Like He's not really doing a lot of arm bars from the guard, is he, right? So you can really focus game plan. You can kind of get around things that way. That's not something you can really do at scale. Individual instances will happen, but it's not a thing you can do at scale. Is Rumble the one to beat John? Doesn't seem that way. So he gives a donation based on some of my ideals. I appreciate that. Given Khabib's comments yesterday, if you're Tony, do you take the fight or do you wait for Khabib? Tony's in a no-win spot either, man, because if he gets Gaethje and he wins, he's not going to get you know uh, the title, it seems. And uh, there's not going to be nearly the same amount of accolades because you're not beating the same guy. And it just puts you back where you are. It's like, he can't win either, man. I feel bad for Tony. Uh, again, same question about the captain of the USS Roosevelt, which is um, what I indicated previously. Hey, Luke, uh, won't mind a shout out to Danny Segura's weekly live chat, Tuesday at 7 p.m. If you miss Danny in your life, check it out. That's right. Go check out Danny. What are your thoughts on socializing college? I don't understand what that means. What are your thoughts on socializing in college, you mean? Man, here's the thing. Campbell makes fun of me for it, and y'all can make fun of me for that shit too. I don't care. But I joined a fraternity in college, and it was really a very easy calculation. I looked at the school. Uh, nearly 40% of the undergrads at the school I went to, uh, which is William & Mary, 40% nearly, just a little bit shy, were in fraternities. And I was saying to myself, dude, I've moved around as a kid all the time, and I hated having to make new friends, and it fucking sucked, and I did not like it. So I'm just going to make a calculated decision here, and what I'm going to do is I'm just going to I'm going to plug myself into the social pipeline and let that process take care of itself. That's exactly what happened. It was one of the best decisions I ever made. I don't regret it for two seconds. I'm not saying that will work for you. I'm not saying that will work for you at any, any old college. It worked for me at the college I was in, and I had no regrets about it whatsoever. Why is the NFL acting like there will be a season? Well, in fairness, no one really knows if there will or won't be. But yeah, there's a certain degree of optimism I'm noticing by certain actors in this space that apparently does not match the reality that we live in. All right, I have gone on very long. Thank you to anybody who donated. I really appreciate it. Um, so, do this. let's do this. See if I can... Yeah, look at that. Oh, wait. There we go. Um, subscribe to the channel. Uh, thumbs up on the video. Let folks know about it. I'll put the podcast up. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll see you guys next week. I'll have some more updates on some content for you coming your way. I've been playing a little Mortal Kombat. Pretty good with Raiden. When I say pretty good, I mean not very good at all. But pretty good by my standards. So, um, thank you guys so much for watching. Until next time. Stay frosty, donks.